It's that time of the week again. It's Flat Out RC podcast time, the podcast where we talk all things radio control flight. We're talking radio control planes, helis, and drones. My name's Andrew Sill coming to you from the land down under in Melbourne, Australia. Big welcome to everybody, especially those that are listening abroad. Now, no matter where you're listening, we've got a good story to tell today because we have a gentleman that just received one of the greatest honours that you could receive in Australia, an Order of Australia medal. Uh, Henry Hutchinson's the man that we're going to be talking to. Uh, a legend, an official legend now. Uh, and it was a great honour to have a chat with Henry. So stay tuned for that. We'll find out about his Order of Australia medal and how it links to aero modelling. Because he actually got the OAM for aero modelling. So uh, stay tuned for that. But uh, before we get into it, let's have a look at what's been on my mind. Well, what has been on my mind? A fair few things as I pick up my phone. There's a, a bunch of things I just want to make you aware of. Events. Plenty of events coming up. It's, it's event season, especially down here in Victoria where most events are held sort of between January and May-ish with a bit of a break during the winter months and then we come back uh, sort of September, October, November um, with some more events. So we're in the thick of it uh, and I've got a few notifications of some upcoming fun flies. Um, the first one we've got, the the Wangaratta Jets event is coming up uh, and that is going to be on the four-day event. And I should know because I did the flyer for it, but I've, I've got, oh, I've got to, wait a second, I've just got to go through a few different things. Now, I know that it's on the Labor Day long weekend down here in Victoria, held at Wangaratta Airport, the Australia's most prestigious jet event, really. It's been going for a very long time. It's a four-day event. So we're talking 9th, 10th, 11th, and 12th of March. 11th and 12th is the... Uh, well, it's the 12th of March is when? Because the Labor Day long weekend, let me just open up my calendar, March the 12th. Uh, yeah, that's right. So the Sunday is the 10th. So 9th to the 12th at the Wangaratta Airport. Um, turbine jets or turboprops are okay. Anything that is jet A1 powered uh, is more than happy to, to attend. It's going to be another good event. I, I'm going to drop in. I'm not flying at the event this year. Uh, but I will drop in on the Saturday is my plan, assuming the weather's going to be good. So um, that is going to be a good event to see that happening, the Wang Jets event. Now, if you want to register for that, um, as I just take a screenshot of that, I'll just go here. And if I go and have a look at the VJA page, I think it's a VJA um, website, uh, Facebook page. Um, they generally promote stuff that's coming up. Um, it was it Vic Jets? I'm a bit disorganized today. Bear with me. Vic Jets. There's so many things, so many places to go on Facebook. I'm a big fan of Facebook actually, because there's a lot of a lot of us use it well. So yeah, 9th to twenth, ninth to the twelfth of March, Wangaratta Airport. You can win a jet. Um, Dragon RC is uh, kindly donating a a jet as a major raffle prize, a composite model. Um, that's going to be good. Uh, Brian Higgins Drive, Wangaratta is the location now. To register, I'd go to the vja.org.au. Or no, but even better, vjaa.teamapp, T-E-A-M-A-P-P.com. vjaa.teamapp, 
app.app.com. That's where you go to register. Most of you would know how to do this. A lot of you are familiar with it, but uh, get on down there. So that is coming up. Now, that's one thing. Um, as I go back, there is another one. Bairnsdale Club, they're holding their event as well. On the same weekend, Scale Rally. Bairnsdale Action All Scale Rally. Look, this event has been on that weekend for many, many years, ever since the club started down at that Bairnsdale field. So um, they're just continuing with that. So unfortunately, there is a clash. The Wang Jets event was moved back to try to get into some better weather and more predictable weather. So... Um, but just unfortunately there is a clash. So some people were missing from both because they'll choose one or the other. But um, that is happening on the 11th to 12th of March down at the Bensdale field. We had Tony Wilson on last time talking about uh, upcoming events. This is a good one. It's $20 per pilot. You can camp at the field, $20 per night. If you camp at the field, uh, big runway, great runway, good facilities, shower, toilets, all that, kitchen facilities, all there. Uh, any information, look, I'll just get onto the BADMAC, B-A-D-M-A-C Facebook page. Follow them. You'll know what's happening. So it's action, the Action Scale Rally down at Bensdale, 11th to 12th of March. And I did get a message, one more that I want to tell you about that uh, came through. Oh, there's the Camperdown event that's coming as well. I just re- realized that. The Camperdown event, um, which I did post on the Flat Out RC website. So I'll, I'll try to put these... Um, flies and stuff up i have put some of them up already so again hang out with the flat out rc gang and you'll know what's going on um as i bring it up now there is an event down at camper down uh on the february the 25th and 26th uh, so that's the one that's coming up it's held at the camper down race course the Karangamite model aircraft club is hosting it's a 50th 50th anniversary fun fly that's massive 50 years of running the club and the fun fly and all that. Um, so get on down. I've got friends that go to this event. And they say it's really good. Entry is $10 per pilot, MAAA, registration required, food and drinks available, accommodation in Camperdown, all good there. So uh, 25th and 26th, get on down to the Camperdown race course, the Karangamite Model Aircraft Club, 50th anniversary fun fly. Well done to the club for 50 years of running that. And the final one, which I will talk a bit more about, um, and I'll, I'll try to get the secretary on. I got a phone call from the secretary of the the Bragg Club, the Bore Bore Radio Modelers Association of Gippsland. Uh, it's a new field, so they're basically it's been around for a while, but they because due to COVID and a few delays, they haven't been able to have their opening fly day. So they're having that. Um, it's a float fly because their field is actually located right up against the lake, so you can fly off the land or. Uh, fly off the water there so um that is coming up on the 19th of may 2023 um blue rock float fly it's called that's the brag club but uh we'll try and get phil on to talk a bit more about the brag club because it's an interesting story new club and it's right on a lake as i just mentioned so <laughs> you've got multiple choices there so that's what's been coming up um i went to an imac event recently the first imac event in victoria 30 competitors they had to cap it at 30. Um, Colour people pulled out at the very last minute, but um, so they had 28. But uh, that's just massive. Um, there's a really big run on on the in the IMAX scene at the moment, especially down here in Victoria. And it's one of those things where it's sort of bred internally. You know, some people go go and do it. They tell their mates. Their mates come and have a go. They tell their mates, and it just keeps on snowballing. The old word of mouth marketing works very very well. And so uh, 
good to see that it is going well uh, and everyone is enjoying it. And, and most people, when you talk to them, they say it's not about necessarily the flying, it's just the people they enjoy and the company. So uh, well done to the IMAX team, Michael Andrisic and, and his team that uh, do such a good job and uh, have been growing it. So um, no doubt it's going to be a very, very busy year on the IMAX scene, a bit, very big year on the event scene. And I reckon we're over COVID. We don't even talk about COVID anymore. Events are happening and... Uh, I've always say this, if you haven't been to a flying event, just get on down. They're the best. They're so much fun. Even if you don't fly, just get on down, buy a sausage, have a chat. Uh, you always see some really good planes. So get involved in your aero modeling in some different ways. Get to an event. Okay, time for my favorite part of the podcast, and that is guest time. And a guest this week is is someone that I haven't met before. I have heard of his name. I saw a post that uh, Phil Spence put on Facebook so- announcing that Henry Hutchinson was awarded an Order of Australia medal in the Australia Day Awards in January this year. And I thought, that's the kind of person that I want to have a chat with to understand how he came about getting an Order of Australia medal for nothing but aero modelling, like for his services to aero modelling. How good's that? Uh, Henry has been a contest director in the F3A pattern scene for many, many years, dating back into the 70s. And he thinks, I think he mentions in the podcast how he uh, has been the contest director for over 500 events. So he's basically been given an award for his commitment and dedication to to running pattern events. Uh, not only here in Australia, but also helping out with some international events. And, and I've got to put a good word in for his wife, Beverly, who's also been alongside him and helped out as well. So she probably deserves to share that medal as well. So let's get into it. Henry Hutchinson, OAM. Doesn't that sound great? Well, on this episode of Flat Out RC Podcast, we have almost royalty joining us. One of the most highly decorated aero modelers in Australia in the form of Henry Hutchinson. Now, let me just give you a bit of an explanation about who Henry is. Now, I'm, I'm reading this from a Facebook post that Phil Spence posted. Henry has been the contest director for our aerobatic model aeroplanes F3A class for more than 40 years here in Australia. He first undertook the role of contest director when Gough Whitlam was our prime minister. So we're talking about in the 1970s here. Since that time, Henry and his equally dedicated wife, Beverly, have driven over a million kilometres around Australia, um, being a contest director at more than 500 competitions. He has actively participated in more than a dozen competitions overseas, whether as a judge or a contest director, and was the contest director of the last World Championships to be held in Australia in 1991. And Henry Hutchinson has the great honour of being awarded an Order of Australia medal. Henry Hutchinson... Thanks for joining me on the Flat Out RC podcast. Oh, good evening. Andrew, how are you? Good. Uh, look, I feel very honoured to actually be talking to you. And, and as soon as I saw the news that you want to know I am, I said, I have to talk to this man, Henry, because an, an order we, we get a lot of visitors from around the world, Henry. So an Order of Australia medal is a, a, an award that the, the government gives individuals in Australia for exceptional service or, you know, to different causes. And, and Henry... Literally, it says uh, in the official paperwork uh, that um, it's for your services to aero modelling. How does it feel to have an OAM? Well, it feels uh, highly honoured, actually. 
Um, I'm, I'm humbled at the uh, at the uh, fact of being uh, recognised um, for for that medal. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a big big award. I've I've always I've never I haven't met many people that have uh, been granted an OAM. Are, are you going to use the OAM title at the end of your name? Um, yes, I will probably. Good. I was going to say if you said no, I was going to say you should because it's a great honour. So okay, so. Um, the award's really been given to you primarily for the work that you've done with the um, precision aerobatics community as as a contest director, and uh, for, for doing it for that long is a massive, massive effort. Now let's let's go back and have a look at where this journey in aero modelling began. Like, how did you get involved with model aeroplanes? <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting, Andrew, because. Um we, uh, as a, as a young lad, um, Keith Hearn was, uh, was, uh, well known, uh, era modeler and owned Hearn's hobbies with his brother in, in Flinders Street. And, um, where I lived in Clifton Hill, there was a, uh, football oval, uh, just opposite the Clifton Hill station. And, um, they were, he, he was, um, doing, uh, a flying display. There was a, uh, a fate of some sort. I can't remember exactly why the, the thing was on, but um, he flew uh, one of the nicest looking models, and it was this was control line, by the way, not not radar control, uh, of a uh, Sabre jet. And um, you, let me guess, you fell in love. Ah, absolutely, I was hooked. So um, I bought a uh, bought a small control line model. One of Hearn's hobbies, I think they called a rat, uh, something rat. I can't remember exactly the name of it, but uh, then I used to go across to where the freeway is now, uh, where the freeway begins at um, Alexander Parade. It used to be a uh, the, over the creek. We walk across the creek bridge and there was all open paddocks between there and Fairfield. And um, we used to go over there and fly a, a couple of guys and myself, and we'd just fly control line. And um, that's where I, I got hooked. And then, of course, uh, things happened. I started work, and um, that was while I was at school, of course. Um, and uh, we got to uh, working, and that put a sort of stop to it for a little while. And um, we were down at Geelong for some holiday uh, in May one one because we used to go away in the school May holidays every year. And um, but this was prior to the holidays uh, around Christmas time, and they was having the nationals, uh, air modelling nationals down at the uh, park just over the over the main over the river. Down in the runs through Geelong. Oh yeah, I know the one. On the Geelong Commons, it's called. And uh, of course, I saw aerobatics down there, and, uh, and radio control was then just in its in its infancy. Basically, um, surveys had just sort of come in as we know them today, and uh, craft systems, of course, was in Geelong, and uh, I got sort of um, a bit. Uh, more interested and bought myself a three-channel model out of uh, out of the paper and thought that I'd be 
be uh, be good and be able to go and fish for solar fly, which <laughs> which came to a bit of an abrupt end, of course. Yeah, um, the usual story. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so then I uh, I knew that there was a club at Lilydale, so I went down to uh, this is in the seventies. Um, about 1971, I think it was, I joined Lily really maybe the end of 70. Um, and, uh, I was taught to fly by a, a very good, well known pilot, uh, down at, um, at the Lily Club, and I uh, remained a member of that club since. Okay, so you're still a member down at Lily Yeah, life member. Oh, gee, you're racking up the awards here, Henry, aren't you? Because <laughs> you've got an MAAA service award as well. Pardon? You've got an MAAA service award as well. Yes, I have, and also an FAI award as well. Oh, gee. modelling royalty. Well, yeah, it just sort of happened. <laughs> it was uh, one of those things, you know, it's, um, it, it, it goes on and on and on. Uh, and you step up to the mark and do the job and... Um, you, you just get wrapped into it, and fortunately, I've got a very good watch. And um, we did it together with uh, with our kids, with our sons. We used to go down to the flying field every Sunday, and uh, down at Lilydale, and um, my boys would go swimming in the ra- in the Yarra, <laughs> and uh, I'd fly, and then we'd we'd come home and have dinner, and that was my weekend of flying. That sounds like a good pastime now. So when you when you started flying radio control, did was was it straight into aerobatics after seeing it down at Geelong? Um, well, no, uh, not really. The um, scale also got me a little bit interested, but it, but it was just um, uh, another aero model that was 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 very very well known to in Poland racing. John Hewan. Um, so I first saw a uh, a close up. Aerobatic model when he was flying down at um, down at Lilydale, and uh, I said, ah, "That's what I want to do," and that's what I did. Pollen racing. No, no, aerobatics. aerobatics. He had an aerobatic model there. Oh, okay, okay. And, and he had uh, he was flying it down at uh, he was uh, he was flying aerobatics and pollen at that day, but he gave aerobatics away and continued on with flying and became very well known in the. In the uh, pylon racing fraternity. Yeah. Okay. So, from some of the other guests that I've had on, like you know Norm Morris, sort of we yeah. can we can trace the pattern flying back to the seventies, can't we? That's sort of really where it started to to get some momentum. Yeah. Yeah. Early seventies. Um, John McGrain, um, Barry Angus, Brian Green, um, to name a few. Uh, uh, Bruce Grinder, who was an extra, extremely uh, good model builder, and uh, Jeff Tracy, of course, he represented us uh, quite early in the piece of, uh, of uh, aerobatics, and Tom Brosser, uh, also another top top flyer in in uh, aerobatics in the country. But uh, yeah, that's where it all began. Began. And so, when did you did you start competing? Um, my first competition, I think, was, um, was the Nationals at Campanown. Okay. Um, I think. Uh, and, um, then I, I, I continued from then on. I don't think I've missed the Nationals 
in all those years, uh, let me look. Because you said you've got a scrapbook, you've got to show me all the uh, the different yeah, bits and bobs. I'm just, I'm just looking up a scrapbook now. Um, but did you get did you did you sort of get into it early on, like you knowing your aerobatic flying? You, you you know you thought you know this is something that I really want to want to give a go. Yes, it was. It was something that I really wanted. Uh, after I saw John Huon flying this particular model, I can't remember. I can't remember the model uh, uh, offhand now because it's too long ago. My, my memory's pretty good, but it's not that good. Mm. Um, Blue Angel, I think it might have been maybe. Or even before the Blue Angel. Anyway, it was one of those, one of those uh, models that was was a design from um, from Europe, of course. Yeah. So they were they were ones that were well up into it by then, or by that time. What was your first aerobatic model? Uh, Sunfly. Okay, of course that would be the kit build. Uh, yep. Okay. Yeah, the kit build. Uh, then the the next one was, um, I think, was an arrow. Uh, then a dash. Uh, Were you using craft radios? Oh yes, uh, I I only used craft radios up until um, up until JR uh, came in. The craft sort of dropped away a little bit, and um, I ended up buying a um, a JR radio, and then. I was um, I was actually given a Grautner radio by uh, my friend Peter Albert in Germany. Uh, one of his uh, second-hand radios. He said, <laughs> "And I cried." He said, "I can't see I can't see you flying aerobatics in with a JR radio like that in a tray. If you it has to be a real Grautner radio a tray radio for you to fly." And that was what he he actually sent it to me. By by mail, and of course, my wife picked it up and said, "What the hell is this?" <laughs> anyway, <laughs> it was a present from Peter. Yeah, yeah and I, I'm still flying Groutner radio today. With upgraded, of course, with with uh, for two point four. Yeah, yeah, they're Pink. a nice radio, the Groutner. We don't see a lot of them, but um, they've got all the features. Yeah, well, they got had all the features all the way from way way back. Yeah. And they had an add-on bits you could put in, and they were very, very versatile radio. Okay. Now, when did your involvement as a contest director start? Uh, at Lilydale. Um, I was contest director at Lilydale, did uh, a number of uh, scale scale um, competitions, and um, then uh, I... Uh, was at a competition. Um, I, I was part of the formation of the original um, VPA, which was then tra- then uh, transferred over to APA, and then uh, of course we broke back again to VPA some years later. Uh, but that would have been about um, nineteen eighty something. In the eighties, a lot of people might not know what a contest director has to do, but just simply explain what what the role entails. Um, well, uh, it means uh, taking entries for the for the competition, uh, keeping ahead of uh, ahead of the new schedules as they come up from the uh, the world body, 
um, putting up the uh, um, in those days we used a, a small uh, Dick Smith uh, adding machine and um, pencils and pencil on paper of course and score sheets so printed all score sheets and all that sort of stuff and then organise the way that the day was going to be run in other words like expert Sportsman, advanced expert, and um, F3A. Uh, actually, in those days, it was basically in the beginning. It was just two divisions, um, which was uh, novice and expert. Uh, that was the, in uh, when the first competition that I flew at. Uh, that was the way it was. And it was some years later that uh, Victoria argued that. It was unfair to think, you know, to have to fly or come from a novice flyer and straight into aerobatics. So the four divisions were, uh, were, were then put together. And I was one of the instigators in, in doing that when I was on the committee of the Vandale. It was interesting, you know, you talk about back in those days, you're using the Dick Smith adding machine and then pen and paper. Has with all the advancement in technology, do you think the role is easier now? Oh, it's much easier. Yeah, much easier. Um, we we started off with with that Dick Smith uh, adding machine, and then we we ended up with a with a computer with a program that Brian Green wrote, and then Glenn um, Birdorf uh, wrote another program which was uh, much better. Uh, and now, of course, we're using one from France. Uh, now it's 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 really very sophisticated, and um, it's much easier to run, uh, providing everything runs okay. Yeah, that's right. As long <laughs> as, as the computer's back, still, you know. As long as, long as there's power to <laughs> the computer, it's good. Yeah, well, okay, but it's always the person pushing the buttons. <laughs> yeah. nine, nine times out of ten, the problems are. You know the people pushing the buttons. But, uh, of course, these days we we don't need pencils and paper anymore. Um, it's all done from a, a console type uh, gadget that you hold in your hands and just punch buttons and then uh, put the scores in. And that's uh, transmitted by Wi-Fi to the computer. Uh, it's a Raspberry, um, and then it into uh, the computer and stored. And uh, all the calculations are done. Everything is done. Uh, and uh, at, the, at the end of the day, just do a printout. Yeah, no, it's 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 amazing system um, that they've uh, that they've got in place, and I, I don't think other other competition categories could adopt something similar, whether it be iMac or Scale or something like that. Where we got to get well, this from. this this particular system actually handles all of them. Um, it it actually handles. It's got iMac in there, and you can you can use it for iMac. The the programs there, the shared schedules are there, everything's there. Uh, it can be it can be used for that. I mean, what, what I'm saying is, I could go to an IMET competition and just run it. Well, there you go. So you're offering your services, Henry. You no, expand. <laughs> you expand. You're going to be doing every category now. No, I, I'm not. But I'm just saying that <laughs> you could. That, that's I, it. Could happen. You know that way. Uh, if they uh, wanted to do that, they could get their own set of set of gear and. Um, on the program and, and just do it. Okay. Well, 
it still amazes me anyone that's been able to stay motivated and active in 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 a hobby like ours for such a long period of time that you know did you ever have any breaks in between or has it been pretty much solid with the with the with the aerobatic flying and then of course being contest director has it been sort of solid all the way through um no i've not had any real breaks um away from it uh a, a couple of years i suppose early on in the 70s I, I dropped out for a little while when we had first had a couple of kids and um but then when we sort of managed that into it and that Building a couple of uh, sailboats for the boys, and and I'd, I'd go uh, flying on a Saturday and and sailing with the boys on a Sunday. It's um, it's one of just one of those things that happens in life, you know. It's uh, the kids have all sailed. My son still sails. He just did a um, a down to uh, Hobart from Melbourne a couple of weeks ago. That's a big, uh, big effort going across the Bass Strait there. That scares yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, more guts than me. <laughs> yeah, I've done a bit of sailing in my time, but yeah, I'm not that that fussed to get outside the Port Phillip Bay heads. <laughs> I've, I, yeah, no, me either. I've been out yeah. in the heads a few times, and I remember telling my father-in-law, um, "We might want to head back now." And he said, "Why?" I said, "Because you don't want me to throw up everywhere if we stay out here. So let's go back." And I said to him, and don't look at me like that because guess what? If I throw up, you're going to throw up. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, back, back through the head. Yeah, so that, uh, that, that, that's, um, you know, that was a short space of time. And now, of course, the boys are all away. And I'm back on my own. Well, we are on our own again. And uh, we're still enjoying it. Well, your wife, Beverly, must have really played a part as well. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, I couldn't have done it without her. So we'll give her what? She's, she's a big, big part. So we'll give her fifty percent of the award to her as well. Do you reckon? Ah, oh, she earned it. Yeah. So, so, Absolutely. so Beverly was helping you at the events as well. Oh yes. Uh, in fact, she was um, in when I judged the world championships. Hmm. Uh, first one was Pensacola, and uh, she would be my secretary because what we what we would do we would have our score sheets on a pad on a notepad and um we would uh do the scores and by hand signals i would signal her and she would write the score down mm. uh so she was a big part 50 percent of me judging um and uh one of the few judges in the world that's wife did do it uh, so you know it's one of those uh really good things that um that happened. Yeah, we don't often see that, do we, in the hobby where, you know, husband and wife enjoy the hobby together and, and oh, participate. Right. The last thing my wife would want to do is go to a flying club. But I'll tell you what, Henry, she came and helped me at a flying event that I organised and she won't admit that she had a good time. But I can tell she had a great time. She was uh, she was she looked really happy. She had a big smile on her face and I knew that she was having a good time. <laughs> but she refused to acknowledge that she was having a good time. But, um, okay, and you, well, you, you mentioned going overseas and, you know, apparently you've, you've done this, you know, more than a dozen times. Was it world championships you were going to, to judge at or other events as well? Yes, yes world champs. Um, I, did, um, I did five world champs. And also did uh, the Asian Oceanic competitions, which I actually brought back to Australia. Well, not me on my own, but the committee. We actually rekindled 
the Asian Oceanic Competition at Wangaratta just after the world cha- we did the world champs. Yeah, okay. Uh, so uh, that started that off again, and and then in the meantime, I'd been backwards and forwards with uh, you know people in Thailand, um, Singapore, uh, Pensacola, Florida. Uh, combined Asian Oceanic Championships in Singapore again, FBA World Champs Island, uh, Australian Masters International formally classed from 1994 through to 2008, uh, state championships. Well, I didn't run the state championships in Canberra. That was done by somebody else. I've heard a bit about the the Australian um, World Champs that we held, and of course we've got the World Champs coming back this year. And I'll ask you a few questions about your thoughts on that. But 1991, the the yes. 3A World Championships came to Wangaratta uh, Airport um, down here in Australia, in Victoria. What was that event like from your perspective? Um, well, it was really uh, I'll go from the beginning because we were supposed to we had actually put in a bid for 1993. And uh, unfortunately, uh, something happened. The 91 World Champs was supposed to have been running in uh, Italy. And um, something happened with the organisation and it fell through. And they they rang us up. They rang me about 7 o'clock one Saturday morning and uh, said, look, um, we've got a bit of a problem. Do you think that you'd be able to run the 91 World Champs instead of the 93 World Champs because we've got a problem with Italy. And uh, Brian Green and I sort of said, yeah, bloody ass, we'll go for it. <laughs> and um, and that's what happened. The com- we, we rang all the committee, of course, and got their approval and said, you know, what do you think, guys? And we all, we all you know, said, yep, let's, let's do it because it was all on paper already. Uh, so it wasn't really a problem. All I had to do was to get permission to use the aerodrome. And um, that was really good because uh, Dragis has uh, Dragis had a um, a beautiful museum there, right. and uh, Kevin Gleason, who was the mayor of Wangaratta at the time, was a uh, pilot, and and I think he was the president of the the um, uh, uh, aircraft school there, the the, the um, flying school. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and um, oh, he was over the moon. He said, absolutely, let's, let's, uh, let, we can do this. That's not a problem. And I spent the three weeks, a week before the event, the whole week during the event and a week after the event to clean up everywhere yeah. uh, because we had to have uh, flight fields, practice fields for everybody. And uh, I think I had about six aerobatic fields with all with poles on set up with the, with the lines and everything on it. It was a fair bit of work, and one of the guys up there that was uh, also flying aerobatics with us, uh, Ray Stefaniak, was uh, he was my buddy up there. He was a painter, and uh, we we sort of went out and painted all the lines and put the poles up, and uh, it was uh, it was a huge, huge, because there were three, not just aerobatics. There were three events. Helicopter, aerobatics, and pylon, oh. all at the same time. And I was the overall uh director but I actually directed the F3A as my baby, you know. Yeah, okay. And where like I have been to the Wangaratta field and flown there, some jets there and whatever, but where were the practice fields? 
Practice fields were in, well, there was a local club field for a start that we used that for pylon. Oh, okay. There was a, just outside Mirua, there was a, a private airstrip which was used by a guy that was flying um, ultralights. Mm-hmm. Um, there were a number of fields uh, that were flat. Uh, just in farmers' paddocks that we went and we approached and got permission and, and they mowed it for us. Uh, the uh, um, Albury Wodonga field was, was another one. That, basically, they were just fields that we that we mowed out of paddocks. That's, do you think you could do something like that today? Yeah, I think you could. Yeah, yeah you just got to have the drive to do it. That's right. So what did you do? Did you just drive around and look for a paddock and then knock on the door and say, can we use your paddock? Sure. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Exactly that. Um, and it was the, the amount of help that we got from from people uh, was amazing. I mean, we booked every motel within Langaratta and, and 20 k's around for that event. Mm. So how many people were there? At the at the you know the combined event. Oh, that's a good question. I'm not sure about that, but there was about I think there was around about eighty or something in aerobatics, and it would have been pretty much the same in uh, in the other in, in the other uh, groups as well. I would think. Yeah, that's a big event. Um, yeah, it was a big event. I mean, I even though the overall, uh, I didn't get involved in because we had contest strikers for each one, hmm. which people that that we the committee chose. Um, to to do the kind of streaking for the individual events, <clears throat> uh, and I just sort of kept an eye on them. Not that I had to, because they were all you know proficient at what they were doing. Um, so I didn't get involved. I didn't go down and, and spy on them and get involved with them. I just let them go, yeah. and uh, it was it was fantastic the way it just all worked. So how do you go for how do you go for things like catering and all that? Well, that was the uh, Airworld at that stage. They it was a bus station um, for the Wangaratta, for the Canberra Melbourne run for the buses, and uh, it was a, a, a canteen or a cafe that was open twenty four hours a day, basically. And but it had been closed before we took the event up there, um, and we had uh, we had used the, the field. For quite some years, for craft masters, um, prior to the world champs, so we knew the knew the event uh, place, you know, sort of like the back of our hands. So, uh, what happened was that we we got in touch with one of the caterers in the city, um, and they came out with their uh, all the gear was was at the at Airworld, the the cooking utensils, the restaurant, the whole bit, because it was a it was an airport where where people flew in and the buses came in, uh, so it was like a control um, or a uh, terminal, oh. like an airport terminal. It was quite large, so all the catering was done there. All the, the judges' meals were cooked and, and served in that in there, and uh, breakfast meals and all that sort of stuff was all catered for by these particular people yeah, that were looking cool. after it for us. We just paid them to do it. The same buildings, I think, are still there. I don't think much has changed. Yeah, oh, yes, there. it is. The, the building is still as is, yeah. 
Okay, so that's that. I've never never had that perspective. The, you know, one of the, from the organisers' perspective of that event, I've heard so much about you know people who participate in the event and and it being a big thing. Now, fast forward to the world champs that are coming to Australia again this year. Are you, are you involved in any way or not? No. Oh, they've, 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 you've handed the baton on. Are you, are you going to go yeah. to it? Oh, yes, we'll go to it, of course. Yeah. Because there are a lot of people around the world, they're friends. We've made a lot of friends with people around the world. You know, people like Wolfgang Matt, um, uh, and even the world champion. Um, we, we, we know each other, we, we speak to each other. We, we, you know, always, always spoke and talked at world champs. It's it's amazing the people that that we know. Ivan Christensen just built himself a, a light aircraft, the second one, yeah. um, and flying around the, around America. They're the sort of people that you meet and you don't forget. We still keep in touch. Peter Albert, you know, from Germany, for instance, uh, he came and stayed with us. Uh, he used to come out for craft masters. And he used to come down and stay with us a couple of nights, and then we'd go off to the masters, and then he'd fly out home. He was a, a Lufthansa pilot. Okay. Well, I say I hang around with some of the, uh, you know, a young group of uh, guys that fly, and uh, you know they're at my club, and and I always say to them, the two things I say to them, um, if you guys continue to fly, you're going to be lifelong friends, and you're going to have a lot of experience together. And the other thing I say to them, which I started to say to them, is be nice to these other people because you're going to be hanging around with them for a long time if you keep on flying. So don't don't annoy them now whilst you're 18 years of age because they'll hold the grudge for the rest of your life, and that's not going to be enjoyable. <laughs> but um, but looking back, you know, like like you said, that you've been involved for a long time, you've met a lot of people. Um, you know, what would your tips be to two young kids? You know, I've had my, my say, but what, what would you say to young kids that are starting out in the hobby and, um, you know, really passionate about it? Uh, just put their head down, practice, and uh, always be uh, always be polite and nice to people. <clears throat> Error modellings. Uh, when we, my very first overseas experience was in 1998. It was in Singapore, and we called into Singapore on the way through the year before, and uh, in 1998, Singapore had what they had, what they call their 25th uh, anniversary of their release from Britain, mm. right? Um, and I went and flew there. Uh, I've still got the model that I flew there, Carrera. And uh, I got up at the meeting and said, um, you know, because we all had to say something, and I got up at the meeting and I said, well, it's just a pity that the rest of the world can't be aero models because we get on. There were so many different languages there. There was you know, probably sixty, yeah, probably about sixty competitors in this particular uh, event. Um, you know, competitors and hangers-on from all the different countries: India, Malaysia, Pakistan, Korea, uh, all over the place. Where was the field in Singapore? Because I've been to Singapore. Uh, well, that, was, that was actually at a uh, the 25th car park on. I can't remember exactly where it was, but um, it was it. It didn't last very long. That was there for probably about five years, and then they got shifted somewhere else, and then they ended up. Uh, we run the um, uh, Asian Oceanics at um, at a place just near near the 
immigration um, crossover point uh, over the over the straits, um, which is the name of it has escaped me. Uh, yeah, I can't remember the name of it, but uh, usually on government land um, that was was that they chase up and. Um, the government give them the land. They they just pay a very small fee uh, to um, to use it. Uh, but they also run, or they were running a. The government were running a uh, junior aero modelling thing that was done in the, in these schools, nice. and and they had this uh, workshop at the at the airport um, at the air, at the airbase, not. Not the, not the airport that the commercial people use, but the airbase where they fly the, um, where they fly the jets out of. And there's also an air, an air, um, uh, a, um, a school there with, uh, with light aircraft. And they had their own room for the school, all the different schools, um, so that they could go there and learn. And they, they were actually making building models actually in this room. And it was fantastic. It was a huge, quite a huge um, area for the kids. And that was part of their learning was building aeroplanes, model aeroplanes. Amazing. You would have seen a lot of pilots in your time. So I I want you to tell me two categories, best international pilot, best Australian pilot that you've seen. Um, Well, Payson LaRue, I think, is still probably the best uh, on the world stage. Um, there are a lot of pilots prior to him. Wolfgang Matt was very, very good. Uh, still, like he was from uh, Liechtenstein, and his son is now flying in world champs. Um, and in in Australia, I think probably the best pilot we've we've ever produced um, would be a young mate from Queensland. Um, and his name slips my mind at the moment, unfortunately. Current pilot or an older pilot? A young pilot. Not Aaron Gall. Aerobatic pilot. Is it Aaron Gall? No, no. Aaron Aaron's is a very good pilot, but I wouldn't say he was. He's probably the best in the country we've got now, but this this guy flew better than him. Um, he he actually got higher in the world champs. Peter Goldsmith, who's now in America, he would be he would rate one of the top five that we've produced. Uh, he's still he's still on Facebook. Yeah, no, I've had him on the podcast a couple of times now. Now, what do you think sets some of these top pilots apart from from the, from the others? Well, yeah, they do. You can you can always always pick um, someone that's a natural pilot. Uh, and those that have uh, have got to really work at it. Um, Bill Bloodworth was, you know, one of the people that was uh, was a natural. Um, uh, his father and I flew together, in, uh, and uh, Tom Bloodworth joined me flying aerobatics when we were both at Lido. Uh, and then Bill, uh, when he got out of his nappies, um, he came and flew with us. I've known them for a long, long time. Um, so yeah, it, you can you can you can pick them straight away in in just the attitude of the flying. Mm. Um, it's pretty hard to explain, but you can see it. Uh, trained eye, you can see it. Like 
like when you're judging, um, I can be standing alongside somebody, you know, one of our judges of today, for instance, and I'll pick mistakes up that that judge next to me doesn't see, mm. even today. Even though, you know, my eyes aren't as perfect as they were, they're still pretty bloody good. I think that's um, actually talking about judging. I went to IMAC competition recently and, you know, having a chat with some competitors and stuff like that. And it's something that's sort of always been a challenge is maintaining that judging standard because sometimes it's a bit of an interpretation of what the manoeuvre should look like, but it shouldn't be an interpretation in a kind of way. Have you felt that judging standard, you know, long over the years, has is it, is it been stable or do you think there's room for improvement? Uh, there's always room for improvement, um, but how to improve it, I'm, I'm not sure how you would go about it, you know. It's just one I mean, we've got training. We've got training. We've got an exam that people do to to, um, to judge at big competitions, uh, like, like the uh, Masters coming up. Um, you have to do the judging thing before you uh, before you fly in it. You have to do the judging school and pass before you can enter. I don't because I exempted myself from judging now because I I get too tired at the end of the day and it's unfair on the pilots. Um, so I won't judge now, uh, and they accept that. So, but uh, judging is you always get. Never two, never two people will see exactly the same thing, and and that's in their own mind's um, interpretation of what they are, what's there, or what you know, what they perceive as being correct, and you'll never change that. Yeah, that's right. That's I don't right. think there's any way that you can change that because people are not the same. They're just they're two different people, and then, and you'll never get the same answer from both of them or any of them. I think the biggest thing is consistency. If that, if an individual judges consistently, that's fine. That, it's, that is, and that's the way the world champs. It's exactly the same. Um, sitting at the world in judging in the world champs and judging at a normal competition is no different. Mm. They are not gods. In fact, um, a number of you know, quite a lot of the pilots, uh, sorry, quite a lot of the judges uh, don't even fly. Mm. They just they just judge. Um, and that's not, I'm not saying anything wrong with that, but that's just a, um, the way they do it over in Europe. Yeah, I think in some ways, like, oh, I'm into aerobatics and I've, I've judged some freestyle aerobatic comps in China and, and I can't fly like the pilots can fly that I'm judging, but I know what the manoeuvre is supposed to look like. And technically, that's exactly, I, my, that's exactly what I say. Yeah, yeah. Technically, we can look at something and go, that wasn't a proper snap or that wasn't a stall turn. Like you can spot it from a mile off because, you know, the plane didn't stall. It's, it's not a it's not a sort of, you know, a bit of a yeah, window. One of the biggest stalled. contentions is spin entries. Yes. Right? That's one of the biggest in, – snaps and, 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 um, and spin entries is one of the biggest um, misdemeanors. Demoners, that's not the right word, but you yeah. know what I mean. Um, in, in, in judging – because a lot of aeroplanes don't like a spin entry. Biplanes particularly. Um, they always look awkward when they're going into a spin, whereas my cyclone, for instance, um, you just pull the nose up and it just drops its nose and puts the wing down. Mm. Uh, and it, it goes into a spin really nicely. Uh, but biplanes, 
you've got to be a pace in LaRue to really put a biplane into a really good spin to score 10. Mm. But there's, there's, I'll tell you what, there's a run on biplanes at the moment, it appears, in the, uh, in the F3A yeah. scene. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I fly, I fly a cyclone and have been flying cyclones for, uh, I think it's probably 15 years now. Um, I just like it and I, I don't, I don't feel the need to upgrade to a, to a later model aeroplane when this one flies fine. That's that's an interesting concept because again, I was talking to some of the iMacers, uh, that I, that I, some friends of mine and I was saying how, there seems to be these trends in models. Yep. Yep. The thing is that the sequence, the manoeuvres that we fly haven't changed. It's the same, it's the same variation of manoeuvres, rolls, snaps, loops, blah, yep. blah, blah. All right. So I'm, I know if I look at, say, the IMAX scene, go back five years, everybody was flying a three metre composite comp aft plane. All right. Now yep. it's 120cc petrol planes, it's probably the norm. Yep. All right. But it's a different generation of pilot. They're, most of the people involved, especially in the Victorian scene, are, are relatively new. Um, and so, and and they're all going for bigger engines and all this kind of stuff. And I keep on saying to myself, well, you're flying similar manoeuvres to what was happening five years ago. And they never were complaining. They didn't think that they needed to have more power. They were just flying the plane and the plane was seemed to be okay. So I don't know whether it's like one person starts talking the field and says, "Oh, look, these biplanes—they really handle the sequ- this new sequence a lot better." And now oh, you've got to have a biplane. The other person get the plant a seed in another person's mind. The next minute, they've bought a biplane, and because they've bought a biplane, maybe I need to look at a biplane. And they're expensive. They're expensive. Oh yeah, now. like they've they, got- that's the problem. They've got too much money to spend. <laughs> but they've got more and more expensive. I know the exchange rate hasn't helped us, you know, over the years and that kind of thing. But it just seems like. The costs have doubled with some of these some of these models now. Yeah, you know. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But um, I don't know. It's 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 a it's a funny thing. Like I'm with you. Like if your plane's flying well and you're really comfortable with it, then changing models, how much different is it going to be? It's not going to be any different at all. Um, in fact, some of them fly worse. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's 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 just one of those things. I think that um, it's just as you say, it's a trend. Like um, like uh, having uh, contra-rotating propellers. Yes. That, that like... has – the only advantage that a contra-rotating prop has is the fact that it doesn't have any yaw. You know, I mean, um, it, it doesn't um, it doesn't have any yaw effect on, on the model when you open the throttle because one's going one way and one's going the other. Hmm. Now, you know, that's the concept of, con- of contra-rotating propellers, but – I don't have a contra-rotating propeller model in motor in, in either of my models. Um, it may come to it because the motors are getting more expensive, um, and um, there are a, a couple of uh, contra contra motors around that are reasonably reasonably uh, priced, um, and not so much with like I, I've got. Two belt drive motors in two of my models, which I've I've had in the models for quite some time, and uh, they work fine. Uh, and I, I had a, a silver bullet in the, in the last uh, model that I unfortunately um, crashed, which is very a very rare thing for me. I I don't really I don't put them in very often, mm. 
But uh, a silver bullet was a very cheap motor, under three hundred dollars, and right. uh, was adequate. You know. Well, the let's talk about some of the planes that you've got in your hangar now. So take us through what what you've got sitting in the shed. I've got um, I've got three cyclones actually. <laughs> <laughs> Why three? Well, because I, I just work on them, and uh, and then when I. Yeah, I've worn one out. Well, I'll put it aside and then have a fly another one. Uh, but um, they—they they were a model that was designed by John Payne up in Queensland, and they were a very stable aeroplane. And um, people bought them, and then because the trend was going a different way, they'd sell them off. And uh, occasionally, I would happen to be there when they were sold off, so I would grab them. Because I know its potential is quite good. Yeah, they were flown. That particular aeroplane design was actually flown at a world champ a couple of times. A lot of the a lot of the the models look very similar, so it's interesting to see how different they are now. Okay, someone like you know myself probably wouldn't be able to notice the subtleties of of the difference in the models, and of course models do fly differently, but. You know, I wonder if there's been in the last ten years a massive progression in in model design or not. Um, as I said, there's lots of biplanes that seem to be going around at the moment. Uh, yeah, I think fuselage depth is one of the ones that one of the things that's really um, been um, pushed into the models, mainly for knife edge like mm. snaps, knife edge snaps, and things like that. Quite a bit of the manoeuvres have got knife edge in them. Uh, and deepening the fuselage makes them more stable, knife edge. And I think that's probably the the biggest uh, Im- improvement um, with the later model aeroplanes. And and canalizers uh, is another thing that um, <laughs> exactly how much difference it makes. I'm afraid I don't know, mm. and I don't think that I would know the difference anyway. Uh, even though I've been flying for years, it's um, because I've been contest director, I I don't have that much time for flying, uh, and consequently that's why I'm still in the expert group. But uh, that's where I'm, I'm I am, and that's that's I enjoy what I do, and that's it, you know. So it's it's I I, I don't think that I would pick up a difference by putting a canalizer on, but the top guys claim. That there is quite a difference. Yeah, I think it's it's the case with a lot of different activities. I think that um, you know, if you're doing it at a, at a very very high level and you you fly a lot, you probably be able to feel the subtleties of the airframe. But yes. I, I was talking to someone about this the other day about go kart racing when I used to race go karts, and there used to be people that would be sitting there fiddling with their go karts and making them more unreliable. You know, they'd always end up doing something wrong and the thing would fall apart on the track, but. But I used yeah. to my my philosophy, as I said to this person, was I could muck around with the go kart as much as I like, but the biggest gain that I was going to make was the way that I drove the thing. So yeah, I spent exactly. more time worrying about how I was driving it than whether the you know not the suspension, but the whether the you know this cart was set up perfectly kind of thing because I just knew that I'll pick up a second by driving better, and I'll pick up a fraction of a second by tweaking the the you know the the wheel you know settings and all that kind of stuff so um and i think with flying it's it's like that a lot you know i was i was talking to some young people and i was saying just go and fly your routine with a small plane doesn't matter what plane you've got just go and fly the routine because 
It's all going to help, you know. And then if you can fly, as Jay's Ducia, who's one of the best freestyle pilots in the world, said to me, he flies on small planes a lot, like 60-inch size planes, and he perfects yeah. his manoeuvres on the, on the small planes because he said once you take him to the big planes, it's even easier. So he's yeah. doing the harder work first to, to then make it easier on the more expensive, bigger models kind of thing. So, yeah, there's, yeah. I think there's yeah. sometimes. But do you know what? We're aero modellers. We love talking about planes. And the differences between them and that kind of stuff. So it's part of the banter at the field. Otherwise, what else would we be talking about? Yeah, exactly. How often do you get out flying now? Um, uh, well, mostly it's just competitions. Um, up until – because I've only just retired in the last couple of weeks. I've just got rid of my business. Yeah, I'm 84 and I've just stopped working. <laughs> what? Well, wait a second, wait a second. 84 and you just stopped working. What was your business? In yeah, Palmer. And you were doing, and you were plumbing. Yeah. So you're doing well. Yeah, I was. Uh, I, mainly, the last few years has been service work, mm. but I mean, I don't go and dig holes anymore. Mm. But uh, yeah, up until just recently, I was um, servicing heaters and stuff. But it all got too hard with um, with the amount of paperwork you got to do and all that rubbish. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, I've had enough of this. So that was it. I decided to pull the pin. Good, well done. You deserve it. And now I will probably go flying at least once a week with my with my buddies down at down at Nepean. So Nepean is now because you've moved. You've moved. Have you recently moved down that down that Mornington Peninsula way? No, or? no, no. We've been down, we've been down here for about probably about thirty years, I guess. Um, but where I live at the moment, we've been in it, been in this particular house for twenty two years. Um, so it's mainly been Nepean you've been flying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because once we shifted down here, I didn't fly at at, um, at Lilydale, but I'm still I still pay my my M triple A fees at Lilydale because I'm a, because of uh, I'm a um, uh, life member there. Yeah, it's a bit of a drive, isn't it, from uh, where you are down? Yeah, well, zone. yeah, and you can't fly aerobatics at Lilydale anyway anymore because of the trees. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty. Um, gun, the gun club in the trees. Uh, it's room. not much. It's really a really a helicopter field now. Yeah. Now tell me the um have you ever gone to any other planes? Like is it just pattern planes in your hangar or or scale planes as well or what? Uh, I don't have any scale planes. Well, when I, I, I was I was given a couple of models by from Bruce Grinner. Um I've got a Cessna one seven two there, but um and a and a, a laser uh for the pool fab aeroplane that um, we've flown uh, at World Champ, like the full-size aeroplane, full fab. Yeah. Uh, this was a, a model built from it, um, and it used to do. It used to do the demonstrations at all the uh, air shows and things. Yeah. Uh, Brucey Grinner built this particular model on that particular air, off that particular aeroplane, and I, I've got that in my hangar, but it will never fly again. And. Uh, yeah, that's about it. I've got uh, hot. I've got a squirrel, couple of squirrels. Um, these are uh, models that are now um, uh, older models for the uh, classic pattern. Okay, yeah. Still, I've got a couple. Of, uh, one from uh, a Carrera, which was designed by Peter Goldsmith. Uh, that's a, a classic now. Um, but we have, we do have like a, uh, competitions for classic. We've got one coming up at B and in a few weeks. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, no, it's good to see that's coming back a bit. Yeah, I unfortunately won't be able to do that because I've got to go in hospital and have an operation. Oh, great. <laughs> Perfect timing. Yeah, it get, was. Get him to move the event so he can be there. <laughs> the, yeah. I was down at the down at Pandarks in, um, oh, last year and Norm Morris was down there. You'd know Norm very well. And uh, he had this old classic pattern playing there and um, – just the joy that was giving him to get it up and running and, and that kind of stuff was was good to see. But I, I still claim that the, one of the fastest models that I've ever seen fly was flown by Eddie Edwards. I was down at um, a club down the Ballerine Peninsula um, having a fly and he was there and he had his classic pattern plane. And I said to him, Eddie, that's a rocket ship, that model. And he said, that was half throttle. And I went, really? He yeah, said, yeah. He said, yeah. that's that how we flew. Delapel. Oh, I don't know. I can't can't remember the that's, name. That's what it would have been, a Delatel. Yeah. Oh, it was fast. What's, yeah. your, what's your preference, uh, nitro or uh, electric? Electric now. I, I took a long while to be convinced, though. Did you? Like Fraser Briggs <laughs> over once, in New Zealand. Once I'd flown it a couple of times, I thought, oh, no, why would I get dirty anymore? <laughs> yeah, it's true. That, you know, it, even though, like, I've got this thing. If I if I don't have if I'm short on time and I want to have a fly, I'll take an electric model. If I want to have a good day out, I'll go and take a petrol model. And really, the reality is that the difference between the petrol and electric is really about the same amount of work. You know, you just got to put fuel in it versus you know charging the battery up in between flights, kind of thing. But there's just something about the electric thing where you know you don't have to flick start it and worry about all that kind of stuff and whether it's going to stop it midair. But it's just something that eases your mind about having an electric model. We just set and forget in a kind of way. So. Yeah, I I think they develop more power actually. They they, yeah. they have better better vertical performance, a better throttle response. You know. Yeah, better throttle response. Um, I, I, it took me a while to get used to landing, um, mm. because of the way they pull up, um, as opposed to the gas engines, because uh, you just see uh, drop the gas engine down to uh, to idle revs, and then you, you set your model up to land, but. Uh, with the uh, with the electric models, as soon as you when you back off, they they seem to hold mm. uh, like putting a hand out in the middle of the air. Uh, they sort of stop. Mm. <laughs> it took me a while to get used to to that sort of thing, but um, no, I wouldn't. The only way I'd go back to flying gas now is for my classics. Yeah, that's right. Well. I've had Fraser Briggs numerous times now on the podcast, and he's a he's a um, avid YS fan. Loves oh, his yeah, ways, but yeah. but now he's gone to a contra rotating prop, and it's an electric, so he's he's come to the dark side. Yes, yes, yeah. And Scott K down in Tasmania won't come to the dark side. I don't think. No, no, he's a he's, YS man. He's a YS man too. Yeah, yep, yeah. yep. Yeah. He's helped Fraser out with parts, I think, for the YS. But uh, yeah, but yeah, no, there's just some people that won't 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 budge kind of thing. But those those YSs sound good, and they they seem really smooth and stuff as well. But um. I've got my little things, you know, I, I can understand what you say about the electric models when you chop the throttle, um, they sort of want to die. But I, with some of my models, my electric models, I put a, a flying idle in, I flick a switch so it bumps bumps yeah. the idle up and then tries to smooth out the, the off-throttle kind of um, response, especially really light foamies and stuff like that because you just pull the power back and they just want to drop out of the sky. But, um, but yeah, okay. So, and you know what's interesting? You know, I've, I've, who was the guy that I interviewed up in from New South Wales? And I said, what, what models have you got? And he said, I've only got one model. It's a pattern plane. 
And um, I've got one model. Which aero model has only ever owned one model? You know, there's one model in the hangar. He goes, no. But it's, it seems to be a thing with, with pattern and um, those that are really into pattern, that's what they dedicate their all their flying time to. They don't see them often. You know, it's like Glenn Orchard. Glenn Orchard went hell for leather with F3A and now he's just enjoying all sorts of different things. But I, I noticed he might be back dabbling a bit with, with F3A. Yeah, if he's got another model, he's got another bite. Yeah. See, can you please tell him to come on the podcast because I've asked him numerous times and um, we're waiting for – he said he's going to come, but I've asked numerous times now he's going to – I'm going to interview him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We like to we'll have a talk to him. And he lives just around the corner from me, actually. Yeah, yeah. He's out your way now, isn't he? That's all right. It seems to be everyone's moving out that way. You will be take over the Nepean field for pattern flying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's true. Have you gone over the years with practicing pattern? You know, there's always contention at fields, which I don't buy into, but – Oh, these patent guys! I think they own the sky, and they come here and they hog hog the airspace. Um, have you felt that pressure at, at different clubs over the time? No, because um, we that's not um, that, that's basically not really true. Because uh, we don't hog the sky. We always like, for instance, if we go to a field like Bendigo, um, we we would go up there on the Friday prior to the competition, but. My instructions to the flies is that you don't fly unless you ask and fit in with the flies that are there. And on a Friday at Bendigo, Friday morning is what they call the fart stage. Mm. It's uh, old timers. Yeah. Um, and they go out there, all the old guys go out there and have a fly on, on uh, Friday morning. And then they'll go home at lunchtime and then we'll, our guys will fly in the afternoon. But I've always been contentious with them to say, look, you must fit in with the other guys. You can't just take it over and just think you can fly uh, just for flying sake. That's yeah. not on. And uh, most of the guys are pretty much that way. Uh, I know there was a bit of a, a large group of our, our guys, members at the P&R Club that were um, being picked on it as far as that was concerned. I don't know how true it was because I wasn't there. Uh, I don't sort of go up there and fly with them, um, basically because I didn't have time and been working. Uh, so it, I, I don't, I don't see that, uh, or I don't get that feeling at all. No, I think it's, I think it's driven by certain individuals that just grumble about about it. Like I've. I'm like you, I've got the same attitude as you, and I tell people that who want to fly aerobatics and want a bit more of airspace to themselves, well, ask, make sure you fit in and understand you're not going to be flying back-to-back flights, but fit in and they'll they'll give you the airspace and, and you know, respect, exactly. respect what you're doing. And, you know, more often than not, it's, it, it's pretty good. But I think there are some people that just along the grapevine get this, Misconception that you know, pattern guys and IMAC guys think they own the sky. And I was at a flying field once with with some of. I'm not going to mention the names because you'll know all of them very very well. And I was at the flying field, and some of the club members were grumbling to me, goes, "Oh, these guys they've been hogging the sky." And I turned around to these two chaps and I said, "Here's what you do, right? You get your model plane, and you're going to put it on the runway, and you take off, because I reckon these guys are waiting for you to do that so they can have a break." And the only reason why they're flying is because you're not indicating that you're going flying. Now, sure enough, these two guys, they, they took they took my words on board and they walked away and they went and grabbed their models 
And the pattern guys went, oh, great, now we can go and have a break. And they, they went and had a break for an hour or so, let everybody else have a fly kind of thing. So, I, yeah, so that's often that's the case is that when you go to yeah. any of these clubs, there's more talking than flying going on. When you go to a big, yeah, club, exactly. like, when you go to a big club like Pakenham, I call it the peanut gallery. The peanut gallery is sitting there having a chit-chat, which they're more enti- they're entitled to do that. But they'll be sitting there and observing what other people are doing. Well, then they're not flying. They're not like if I'm at the flying field and I want to fly aerobatics and nobody else is flying, guess what I'm going to do? Go flying. <laughs> Put it in the Absolutely. air and I'm going to fly up and down the strip because there's nobody there. I had a guy once come up to me. There was two of us at the field. There's an old club that I used to be a member of. And I like flying aerobatics. So, you know, I don't want to fly circuits if I'm the only one in the air. Anyway, so I'm flying up and down. It's a little plane. I'm going up and down the strip doing my turnaround maneuvers and practicing a few. It was an IMAC sequence. I think I was practicing or something like that. Just a little electric plane. And this guy comes up to me and he says, see, when you fly like that, I can't fly. And I turned around and said, well, the only reason why I'm flying like that is because no one else was in the air. But as soon as you would, uh, as soon as you put your plane on the runway, I'm going to conform to the circuit because that's the rules of the club, and I respect that. And I, then I turned around and said, "The question is, though, when you see me flying like that, would you give me the respect to give me that four or five minutes that I need to just finish my flight and just wait because there's nobody else here? It's just the two of us, you know." And he sort of yeah. walked away, kind of thing. And I think it just comes down to yeah, individuals. I think. But, uh, yeah. Well, then, it, then it, and if I'm if I fly, if I take off, uh, none of the other guys will go up. They'll always wait for me to have my flight and then come down, and then they'll go up and fly. Well, look, they, they we give are, me that respect. Well, we are talking about Henry Hutchinson OAM here, so you know now you've bumped up. Uh, even, no, no, even that's to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you're right. You, you give respect and you and you get respect back. And and there was something that I exactly. I pushed, I got into 3D flying and, and there was really bad connotations around 3D flying based on one individual, like, I'm not going to name him, but, you know, an individual started to, you know, give the whole sort of 3D flying scene a bit of a bad name. And so what I did was try to create a community of 3D flyers when I was selling 3D hobby shop aeroplanes and run a fun fly event and my whole theory was that if I create a community, I can guide them or I can influence the, the way that we behave. And, like, I had trouble trying to find a field that would let us run a, an aerobatic fun fly event and because they thought that we were thugs that would just be crashing planes all the time, which was totally the opposite. Totally. I go to the Shepherd and Mammoth event and it's crash fest. I, I, I've seen five, six planes wrecked at the Shepherd and Mammoth in a, in a day. They're all brand new aeroplanes too. Oh, expensive stuff as well. All sorts of different crashes, right? I ran an aerobatic fun fly event for four years or something and there was one crash which was due to, you know, a a hardware failure or something and it was 100 metres away from everybody. There were not crashes because the people that were flying this 3D flying, they were really good pilots. Like they really were passionate and they were putting in a lot of time and they didn't want to damage their expensive models. So they weren't doing, you know, behaving in a risky manner that would, you know, end up with a crash. So it was just, yeah. And then I spoke to the VMAA about it and tried to create a... a, um, Almost like a charter for that that 3D pilots would sign, and that was and and it covered things such as we will notify other pilots of our intention to go for a fly and what we're going to do. We'll seek their approval, like exactly what you were saying um, before. And so yeah, I pushed that. But it, I think things have improved though. I think that's dying down um, a fair bit. You know, ha- yeah. 
how do you see the that that pattern flying community at the moment? Would you say it's you know on the decline, incline, pretty stable? Uh, well, um, up until the COVID, um, it was pretty good. Uh, COVID killed us, of course. Uh, but I had a competition the other day we had twenty two flyers. Yes, that's that's really good. Yeah. Where was yeah. that? Where was that? Event? And, and two days that, that was on the Thursday at P and Dark, and then on the right. Sunday we had um, uh, we had one. Well, no, on the Saturday at Yarra Valley we had uh, eighteen flyers. So how do you go with those one day events? Just one day events. Yeah. yeah. How many flights does each pilot get in a one day event? We got three. Oh, see, that's all right. Yeah. I, I like the idea of the one day events. The iMacers have two day events, or so we generally go for about a day and a half. And I think if they made them one day events, it'd probably be better in a way um i don't know whether that second day really helps but um oh, they get a few more rounds you know i suppose but um yeah well they get two flights per flight yes they do do that as well so you know i mean so they're, they're getting they're getting two hits for the one um for almost the same time in the air like we we've got we, we've got to keep complete our maneuvers by eight minutes yeah well, the batteries um, don't last forever, too. Yeah. So, so you competed at those events? One day events. Yeah, those the last two. Were you there? Competing? Yeah, I ran them. I know you you run everything. We know that. But were you competing at them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I won. I won on uh, on the Thursday. Oh, did at, you? Uh, yeah, yeah. By default, uh, <laughs> because the others either broke something or um, they had. Couple of flights, and I had I completed my flights, yeah. so I ended up winning it for the day. Um, but um, and that's a bonus for me. Uh, I don't look at it as being a win because the others didn't complete all their flights. But uh, yeah, I flew in both of those events. I, I fly in all the events that I run. Yeah. Unless there's a problem with the computer, I, I, I'm I'm out there flying. I have my flight. So I dare say that Norm Morris has probably been along the way, along the journey for a long time as well. Like, are there any other, any other long termers that are, that you've, that have been associated with Patton as long as you have? Because um, we see people come in and out, but um, yeah, I think I think Norm Norm originally, yeah, Norm wouldn't be too far behind me actually because he originally was pylon. Hmm. Um. And then he came, and then he came and flew aerobatics. Uh, so he he wouldn't be too far behind. Uh, Tom Bloodworth would be probably uh, two or three years behind me in in. But he has he hasn't competed at every competition, not like myself. Yeah. Uh, but um, yeah, I I don't know about interstate. Um, I think. A lot of the pilots that were flying with me in the early days had fell off a perch. That happens, doesn't it? Yeah, it does, unfortunately. But, um, yeah, it's just one of those things of life, unfortunately. But, um, yeah, it'd be, I think Tom, Tom would be yeah, probably three, three or four years. If he joined aerobatics, um, uh, yeah, it might have been five years after me, I think. Yeah, Tom Pross is still flying. 
Tom Cross is still flying. Yeah, he doesn't fly in comps now. No, no. Um, unless, uh, well, he does. He'll, he'll compete if we if we take a competition down to Bansdale. Yeah, yeah. But he won't come uh, away if I. Tom's actually younger than me, actually. Crazy. Yeah. But he was flying before I was. So what's kept you in it for so long? Um, I think probably I get a lot of satisfaction out of uh, organising the guys and, and giving them um, a, a competition that's, that's held together and run uh, and, you know, to a time frame. Mm. I think that's – I like to have things like ducks in a row sort of thing. Uh, so <sighs> – but I've often been called a whip. Mm. <laughs> Early on in the piece, um, the, the running of competitions was pretty um, higgly piggly. If you can understand what I mean, yeah. you know, you did one or two flights maybe. Uh, but I, I decided that when I was running it, it was going to be we start at nine o'clock. If you're not here at nine o'clock, you miss your flight. And Always have them ready. The next order, the judges, I don't have to tell them a thing now. It all automatically works. They know the, the board's up there with their names on it, where it was flying, who's judging, and they just do it. It just happens. Uh, and that and that spread throughout the country, which is a good thing. How did this OAM award come about? Someone must have nominated you. Somebody did. I'm not sure. I don't know how it happened. Obviously, somebody did. The VNAA may have. I don't know. How do you get notified? What's the actual process? Uh, well, I got a phone call in June last year. Uh, no, I got an email in June last year, and I thought it was scam mm. <laughs> and dropped it. <laughs> and then I got a phone call a couple of weeks later. I said, oh, Mr. Atkinson, did you receive a uh, email from us uh, regarding uh, your acceptance of uh, uh, OIM? And I said, oh, Mm. Oh, I think I might have accidentally deleted that. Oh, well, it's it's for real. Oh, okay. Well, that and it went on from there. And they sent me another one, and I answered, filled out all the paperwork and everything. And then I said, "Oh, well, you'll be notified later later on in the year as to what's happening." And um, about six weeks ago, I received. Uh, a letter from them saying that I, oh, the nomination had been accepted and I am uh, going to be awarded. Yeah. And then I got another note saying that uh, I will be presented with the medal at the uh, government house in April. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, and I'm awesome. now allowed to use OAM at the end of my name. Yeah. That's phenomenal. So you get to go to the ceremony and they hand it yes. over? My wife and I, yeah, we can go to, to the ceremony. And get and they hand it over to me, and I will proudly wear my nineteen ninety one green <laughs> and gold jacket. Oh, do that. That's have you still got it? It's like green. Can you fit into it? Yes, I can. Oh, that's great. That's, that's yes, even better. I can. That's even better. I don't know. I couldn't fit into anything that I was wearing in nineteen ninety one. I was uh, what I turned eighteen in nineteen ninety one. It was my final year of school. Nineteen ninety one. That's awesome. That's like, you know, I'm, I'm just sitting here listening to it going, gee, what an effort. Like, you know, you deserve it. It's, you know, and, and it's good to see with those awards. It's, it, they really give it to people that have made extraordinary effort like you have. Like I haven't met anybody that has been that involved with, I suppose, the admin, the coordination side of the hobby for, for such a long period of time. I've got some other 
great people that do get involved at various different levels, but for, for that period and that length of time to, and that commitment has just been amazing. So um, really, really uh, happy for you and glad that you did get that. And um, I'm glad that we could talk about it as well. But um, yeah, make sure you get plenty of photos of the ceremony and send them through and post them up on Facebook and stuff and share them because we'd love to see that. It'd be awesome. Oh, that's it. That's <laughs> I'm not sure how I'm going to do that because I don't think they'll allow you to take the phones in there. Oh, yeah, that's true. They might not. Just smuggle one in. Come on, Henry. <laughs> smuggle. Get Beverly to smuggle a phone in. Say, quickly, take a few photos. They, they might have, they, you know what? They'll probably have uh, an official photographer there. They, they, I would sure. think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. See if you can grab the photos. That'd be awesome. You need to have those. What, is it, what do your kids think about the award? Oh, they're pretty chuffed. Yeah. My son, uh, one of my sons, my eldest boy, actually, is in the army uh, reserves, yeah. and uh, he he said, "Oh, proud of you, Dad." <laughs> yeah. No, it's pretty good. Gee, I can't believe you just retired. Why didn't you retire earlier, Henry? I like working. Yeah, that's a good reason. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm always fit, fitting well. Uh, why, why would I not um, just keep working? Uh, I like meeting people. Mm. And I had customers that I had for 20-odd years. Mm. I've got one customer. I'm not sure that way. I'm not licensed anymore because I've just cancelled it. Mm. I don't know what I'm going to do. I've got to try and find someone to look after <laughs> their boiler for them because I've looked after it for so many years. Yeah. And now I've, I've got to sort of find something to, to look after it for them. Oh, they'll find it. Now, so what, what are your plans now moving forward with aero modelling and, and everything else? Now that you're retired, well, besides having I, an operation, I think I'm, I think I'm just I'm just going to uh, try and get in uh, a bit of flying during the week. Oh. I'd have to go to Twin Dart or Yarra <laughs> Valley. Yeah, yeah. T- <laughs> there's only there's a couple of guys in my club that are interested actually, hmm. um, but they won't go outside of their field. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the guys is interested in scale. He's been he, like he went up to Shepparton and and, uh, and that he's been going to a few competitions, but. Hmm. Um, there's two that, that are interested in aerobatics. One of them flies a, 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 a fairly big model, uh, but it's it's still under 96 dB, so I allow him to fly it. Yeah. And uh, he's just been promoted to advanced, and the two of them are now both in advanced. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, they just won't come and, and uh, fly uh, at other fields, you know, for some reason. I just can't convince them to come and have a go. Yeah. Oh, well. It's, it's a bit of a shame. It's hard sometimes. You know, people get stuck in their ways kind of thing. But, um, yeah, it's good, good people down in the peeing club. I know I've met a number of members down there and um, haven't met a bad one yet. And I always good, get positive reviews around uh, the Nepean club. And it wouldn't be too far from where you live as well. Uh, it's only 10 minutes away. And I, but the, the thing is, I think when once I start, because Neville, the one who, who's, who, who flies in every competition I run down there. Um, he um, he always sends out a note on fl- gun flying at eleven o'clock tomorrow. Hmm. But I've always been in not a position that I can go and fly with. Yeah. But it, that's going to change. I'm going to make sure that I do go and fly with him, and that may convince him to come and fly. You know, with us um, at, at other clubs yeah. at other comps. No. Well, okay. We get to that final question, the question that everybody wants to know the answer to. And that question is, what has been your all-time favourite model plane that you've owned? A cyclone. Well, you've got four of them, haven't you? Yeah. 
but that's my that's that's the airplane that I love. So how many of them are operational? Um, three. Okay, that's all right. And what what, what do you do? You just rotate between them, or one's a competition model, or you know? Uh, one's a competition model. One I use all the time, and uh, the others I just um, I just have a car. One of them's still a gas engine, actually. And I haven't flown that for since I've been flying electric, but that's due for its conversion shortly. Mm, maybe the that's my next project. I'm going to convert it to electric. Yeah. Well, Henry. Congratulations once again on getting the award. Well deserved, and I think I can speak on behalf of uh, all we aero models, especially the uh, the Patton F three A scene. Scene a big thank you for all your efforts because it's not often I can say without your, without you know your efforts these events probably wouldn't run as they do. And I think that a lot of people you know, appreciate the effort that you've made, and no doubt I dare say I don't know who did nominate you. I dare say. That it was probably someone in the pattern flying community that understood the effort that you have made over such a long period of time. So it's an honour to talk to an OAM, Henry Hutchinson. What a legend. All the best and hope you enjoy your retirement. Get out there, go for a fly. Right, thank you very much, Andrew. And we will catch up one day. About to leave, already packing. Come with me, I'm not really asking. We'll get away. Another episode of the Flat Out RC podcast done and dusted. A big thank you to Henry Hutchinson. Uh, Look, congratulations to him and to to Beverly as well for playing her part. That level of commitment is something that most of us will never ever achieve. Uh, But he he loves it and he's not slowing down too much. Uh, So a big thank you to Henry and Beverly for the effort and the work that they've made to, to, to really foster pattern flying and help events happen because without people like that we don't have events to go and enjoy so well done once again it was a privilege to have a chat with henry hutchinson oam now don't forget about all those events that i muddled through earlier in the podcast the uh camperdown events coming up at the end of february we've got the wang jets and the Bensdale event the same weekend at the uh, Labor Day long weekend, 11th to 12th, plus the four-day event, of course, for the um, for the Wang Jets. Uh, and then we're going to have that Brag Club, and I'll talk a bit more about that as it gets closer. But lots of events to go to. I suppose events were a bit of a theme for this week's episode. Well, guess what? I'll be back in another fortnight, because we are doing the fortnightly now. And I've got a good guest already in the bag. Let's just say we have an international guest. The biggest name in freestyle aerobatics is joining us to catch up with what is going on. We have the scoop. This is where you go to get all the latest goss on what's happening in the flying scene. So subscribe to Flat Out RC Podcast. Tell your friends. Get onto the YouTube channel. Get onto the Instagram page and the Facebook page and join the Flat Out RC Peanut Gallery. It's getting bigger and bigger. Thanks for listening. Talk to you in a few weeks' time.